Hi everybody, it's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I hope that you're doing well. It's 12.21 a.m. Tuesday, the 30th of October, 2007. And we've had a dream request from a long-time listener. This was mentioned on the Sunday call-in show, if you had a chance to listen to that. So let's have a little tootle through this dream and see if we can't make some kind of sense of it. It's been a while since I've done a dream analysis, having been lodged in the syllogistical more of the UPB book and some of the follow-up stuff that came out of that. So let's um, uh, go through this dream and then we'll look at some of the events that have occurred in this person's life that may be related. And last but not least, we'll see if we can't put it together in some way that um, can make some sense. This dream... And I'm going to call this gentleman Tuttle. That's his board name, and he's already posted it on the board, so I don't think that's any massive secret. He says, This dream was extremely vivid and made a huge impression on me. It took me 17 minutes to dictate it the morning after, and I was amazed at the detail I remembered. It is one of the strongest dreams I've ever had, exhilarating but really scary and shocking at the end. I don't understand it yet, but I know it's important. I am at an event somewhere on the riverside out near where the river meets the sea at the estuary. It is maybe late afternoon. The event is over and people are leaving. I have to get back into the city, which is upriver, and I'm thinking of how I will travel. I remember that one way that a group of monkeys can travel is by swimming together in the river, so I jump into the river, and I'm swimming with a group of black monkeys. These monkeys are not dangerous, and I am even part of their clan. They're pretty calm, making little monkey noises every now and again, and are actually quite cute. When I look at one of them, their face is more like a cat creature than a monkey. We are not actively swimming we're just we're actually just floating with the tide the tide is coming in and pushing us up the river the river through my city is tidal but it doesn't reverse flow like this in real life the monkey creatures have little claws and as we are floating upstream together they sometimes hold on to me like the otters in a clip that charlie once posted on the board I think it's kind of cute, but I am concerned that they're going to scratch me, so I don't let them hold on to me for too long. I gently move their claws off me after a while when one of them does this, and we all float upstream together as a group. Now, it is not a group of monkeys that I am floating with. It is a group of people. The water is taking us along around pretty bends in the river, and I am commenting how amazing it is that we are actually traveling upstream, but that we are really not even swimming, we are just being carried by the tide. As we are floating along, we we go past darklands developments and residential waterside developments, which in the dream looks like some really nice-looking areas. There is a kind of semi-peninsula riverside development with some really nice new housing on it, and we somehow come ashore by this new housing. 
I am talking with a former girlfriend of mine from way back, and I am showing her the prices on this Riverside house, which costs a lot of money. Ex-girlfriend. This is a very nice house. Me. It's quite expensive. Ex-girlfriend. Yes. Maybe my husband can afford it. Me. What does your husband do? Ex-girlfriend. Oh, he's a banker. I remember thinking, ah, yes, corrupt bankers, and thinking about how they inflate money. I also remember thinking that it was unlike her to have married a banker. We are looking into it either with an estate agent or just looking at the written info, I don't know. It's kind of a luxury development that has been developed by an impresario developer guy. This bit gets a bit hazy, but there are cranes above the development, either cranes or fun rides or an observation deck, but something that reaches high above the development where you can look over the area as it is being built. I remember thinking that the children, whoever they are, could get hurt if they go up on this crane or fun ride or viewing platform. I remember thinking that the kids would have to be tied in on this crane and the parents would have to hold on tight in case the crane was unstable. I was imagining disaster scenarios. If, if, if the cranes shook, then the kids would be hanging there frightened, tied in by their safety ropes, and the parents would be hanging on with their hands for dear life. As I was thinking of all these disaster scenarios, this section of the dream fades out. In the next part of the dream, some sales representative is showing us, me, me and some unidentified others, around and telling us about the development. He tells us that, as well as this crane thing, there is also an underwater part of the development. Presumably, it is in the river, but the river is now very deep, like the sea. He is telling us about some type of luxury underwater house, which is lo located on the river floor. We go down into the water to visit, somehow taking a special vehicle to get there. We are actually walking around on the river floor without needing wetsuits or anything. And there is this house down there with a normal-looking door and windows. The lights are on in the house, and there is activity inside. At this point, it becomes clear to me that inside this house there are trapped children, and there is an evil, rich developer the guy who built this thing, who strangely enough looks exactly like Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia. I didn't call him Jimmy in the dream, although it was certainly Jimmy's face. And he posts a picture of this developer uh, on the board. He says, whoa, Jimmy looks pretty mean in that photo, and it sends a shiver down my spine remembering the dream. I don't know what the children are doing there and how this hostage situation develops. But now that we know about it, we are involved somehow. Maybe we could potentially tell the police or, or maybe we have the key to get them out or something. The basic point being that we on the outside have the potential to undo this evil Jimmy character and his scheme. 
the guide or estate agent who has shown us this place is standing very close to the front door of this house, looking at it. Suddenly, a clever second door closes around his back like an airlock. He is taken into the house with evil Jimmy and is now trapped, too. I seem to remember an old woman like the detective in Murder, she wrote, looking at the door. Then she disappears from the dream. I I don't think she's taken inside the house. I think she just disappears. And then he posts a picture of Angela Lansbury, also known as the teapot. It is now me and another guy my age standing there trying to work out how to solve this hostage situation. Although we are apparently underwater, we are talking to each other as if in a normal air-based environment. We know it is dangerous because this Jimmy developer guy is potentially a very bad dude. Somehow we get into the house and perhaps even try to negotiate with evil Jimmy, but we have to run out again, getting out of the airlock just before he gets us. Bizarrely, we then decide to have lunch on a bench outside the house, still on the river floor. This guy that I am with introduces me to some other business contact, a third man. I remember shaking this third guy's hand, so we three are chatting and having some kind of business lunch together. Evil Jimmy now walks up to us looking really angry. I presume that he is going to have to be civilized because there is another person present and he would not want to reveal his evilness in public. However, evil Jimmy takes out a knife, a switchblade, and now becomes very dangerously violent looking. He slices very carefully and sadistically down the length of each arm of the friend who I am with. The third guy is gone now. It is just enough to make a small incision so that it starts bleeding. We are supposedly still underwater, although it doesn't seem so. And I know that this kind of cut is almost like he is potentially cutting our wetsuits, even though it is actually cutting our bare skin, and that this is very dangerous. Evil Jimmy is sadistically not cutting enough to kill, but just enough to really scare us, like we are going to lose too much blood underwater. He comes over and does the same to me, slicing down each arm. I think at this point he has security with him like a crew of bouncer guys. This torture is like a warning. He wants us to comply with his will in some way, to to tell him something or give him a key or, or give him the escape vehicle or something. Then he says to me, utterly determined, with harsh, staring eyes, words, that I very clearly remember. Do you understand it now, on a more emotional level? In the dream, I interpret this to mean, do you understand that this is not a game? I am going to kill you if you don't give me what I want. I am terrified being tortured, and I am saying, yes, yes, hi, yes. I am watching him slice down my arm. I can feel it. It does hurt, but it's not excruciatingly painful because this is like a warning slice. However, it is very scary. 
because I know he could potentially kill us. I am totally terrified. This is where the dream ended. Things that might be relevant, saith the Tuttle. The evening before the dream, I went to my therapist. She is an old lady and may be represented by the murder-she-wrote woman's appearance in the dream. At the beginning of her session, she basically refused to get into a discussion about her training, skills, approach, etc. She has an interesting take on this, which is that such questions are from my conscious mind asking for reassurance, and that I will need to learn to trust her at a subconscious level based on my actual, empirical evaluation of what she does to help me, not on any certificates, etc., that she can show me. I got to her through a referral from my local doctor, as suggested by Christina, and my therapist holds that this is enough reassurance on that level. The rest will have to come from the work itself. I have real trouble with that idea, but I kind of see the point. She is a very clever semi-Freudian, I think. We spend most of the sessions talking about my dreams, which is certainly proving to be a fruitful source of info about my subconscious. The one thing that I have a real difficulty with is her assertion a couple of sessions ago that I need to reevaluate my defu decision. I have asked her what I need to reevaluate about it and not got a very good response yet. I think that this is a challenge to her. She is pretty old and perhaps has her own kids, who knows. I know nothing about her as a person and that is so strange. I'm kind of conflicted as to whether this is grounds to say, oh yeah, well you are fired then, bye or whether that would be counterproductive, as the process does seem useful. She didn't bully or shame me about not seeing my parents, but she did say that she thought I should reevaluate that decision based on the fact that many dreams are to do with my childhood, my childhood home, etc., and that these are not happy images. That doesn't make sense to me. I certainly am still processing issues to do with my parents, but I just can't see how she gets that I need to reevaluate defooing from that. In the session after she made this assertion, I just said, look, I appreciate you trying to interpret that last dream for me, but I disagree with your take on it. I think you missed the fundamental point, and I think that it was a distraction, you concluding that I should reevaluate my decision not to see my parents. We then had quite a good talk about the topic that I felt was more central to the dream, which was about my relationship with myself, my self-parenting, so to speak, and my difficulty in finding the emotional certainty about important decisions in my life. We have basically arrived at a point in the last session, the evening before the dream, where it was clear that my relationship with her, should I trust her or not, is not a tangential thing getting in the way of the therapy. It is actually a central issue. After writing all this down, I plan to confront her more seriously about her Defu comment, as I don't want to feel that she has a hidden agenda based on her own life, which I sort of suspect about this issue. Other things that might be relevant. Regarding the previous girlfriend who showed up in the dream, I do know that in real life she is now married with children. We had a fairly disastrous relationship ten years ago during my twenties. Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia is someone I consider to be a good guy. He is an entrepreneur who made his money in the private sector and then used it to do something he cares about passionately. 
I have seen him speak in person, and I would say that I admire him for what he has achieved. I did watch a rather odd video on Wikipedia the evening before the dream, where he seems uncomfortable in front of the camera. I didn't watch it all, but the film also has an odd style with some freaky close-ups of Jimmy's eyes. I am also I am also an entrepreneur, and I recently made some good money from a big business deal. That got me thinking. A rather scary thought. Am I evil Jimmy? Is he part of me? I have been half thinking about buying a house recently, but not very seriously, as the market is too volatile here. I recall that monkeys were discussed recently on the board, but in a negative context. They killed a guy in India. A politician, actually. The monkeys were nice in my dream, though. All right, so let's uh, do what we can to start cooking our way through this dream. Uh, it's a big and complicated and meaty dream, but uh, I obviously won't, <laughs> won't be able to get it all done. But I can at least point you in some directions that I think might be fruitful to explore. And, of course, you know, you've got a therapist, so you talk about it with with her, and she knows much more about what's going on for you than I do, of course. So this is just some of my thoughts about this dream and what it might be representing. Now, the first thing, of course, that I always suggest when looking at dreams is to look at the setup, right? The setup. It could be anywhere. It could be anything. You could be a metal spider on the outside of the Mir space station. You could be a, uh, an, arv, an aardvark tumbling through the rocks uh, orbiting Saturn. You could be uh, the tapeworm inside a tapeworm's intestine. You could be anything in a dream. And so the fact that you're you is obviously good, and that's generally the case in dreams, but the location is very important. Now, water in my experience, is almost always a metaphor for the unconscious uh, because it is the source of all life. It appears calm, but there's great activity and sometimes violence underneath. And uh, it's something that we can't directly live in, but is the source of all the life that we have uh, and so on. So I'm going to put that forward just as an axiom and we'll see if it plays out positively or productively in the dream itself. So... uh, In this dream, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. The fact that you're where a river meets the sea, I would say, is very important. If the water, if water, if bodies of water are a symbol of the unconscious, then there are two types of unconscious that we have. And this is not, I mean, this is not my idea. This is Jung's, and it's also fairly easy to understand empirically, right? So there is the personal unconscious that we have, which is your allegories, your personal experiences, your association, the girlfriend that you had in your 20s, and so on, and that is your personal unconscious, of course, and that's obviously part of of what's going on in the dream. There is, however, for all of us, a collective unconscious, which is the apparatus that we have inherited from Yes, the monkeys, right, that we have grown up from uh, earlier stages of life. Uh, Dogs dream, monkeys dream, you and I uh, have different dreams based on our experiences, but the fact that we dream is part of the collective unconscious, not anything mystical, it's nothing that we share in any spiritual or planetary web kind of way, Uh, it's just the fact that our unconscious uh, processes things like audio, right, so you're hearing my voice and it's being processed and communicated by your unconscious, which is the apparatus that's not part of your 
rational cognitive frontal lobe apparatus and it's the medulla it's all of the stuff that's uh, the hypothalamus all the stuff that's kicking around at the base of your brain and further down so you have your own personal unconscious and then you have a collective unconscious i in this massive <laughs> lab of of me and us uh, i'm always pushing people to go to their personal unconscious and through that to get to their the collective unconscious and that is uh, something that makes life, obviously, for, I shouldn't say obviously, the fact that makes life incredibly rich and incredibly safe, right? The world is crazy and bad in many ways, and there are lots of dangerous people out there who will mess up your peace of mind to assuage their own anxieties or hostilities or whatever. In order to make ourselves as philosophers safe in the world, we have to bust through not just the unconscious in the personal sense, but we need, we must, we must bust through to the unconscious that we have inherited as uh, being human beings from uh, earlier life forms and so on. Because that is where our security is. That is where our instinct is. That is where trust is. That is where the danger of others can be most easily discerned. That is the part that amazingly quickly processes the true self or the false self of whoever it is that we're dealing with and can zing, pinpoint what is going on in an interaction instantaneously or so instantaneously that it might as well be instantaneously. That amazing engine that we have that organizes, assembles, gives us these dreams, gives us our instincts, gives us our uneasy feelings, gives us our good feelings, gives us our ability to rationally, uh, or sorry, to instinctually evaluate uh, situations that we're in, uh, situations of, of love, uh, of danger, of fear, of anger. We have to bust through, not just to our own personal unconscious, which is a great feat, but we must go on to get down to the real gristle of who we are. The true self uh, is fundamentally, <laughs> I was going to say, well, I mean, I'm going to say this, although it is, um, uh, the, 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 the true self is collective, in a way that is not obvious. At least this has been my experience. And when I say collective, I don't mean anything mystical or union, and, you know, I am I and you are you. But the true self, of course, is true relative to reality, and our processing of reality occurs for all of us pretty much the same way, right? So there is a, there is a collective aspect to the true self. Otherwise, this conversation would not be possible. Our language processing, our auditory processing, and all of that would not occur. So there is an individual authenticity. There is also a collective authenticity, which is fought and opposed by, by religion and by uh, various cults like the family and the states and so on, military. So there is identity in collectivity. There is identity in collectivity. And if you sort of doubt that, just think of how much, you can achieve, uh, how much any individual scientist can achieve in his lifetime as far as the truth goes. Yet to know the truth is to be authentic, to live the truth, to live with integrity, is to be authentic. But truth comes as a collective endeavor. Truth comes as the result, or falsehood, of course. But we live in reality, and reality is collective in terms of the way that we exchange information with other human beings. This is a long way of saying that we cannot get to the truth of either ourselves or the world or society through the rejection of the collective endeavor of exchanging information back and forth. That's why people have conferences, you know, to put it to a sort of minor, uh, to put it in a sort of minor way. 
but there is a collective endeavor that is part of, of our identity that helps us define and shape our identity when we're around honest people. When we are around people who are dishonest, then it's a complete nightmare, of course, right? But that aspect of the truth that we experience is collective and is down there in the collective unconscious. As I've said before, we can only meet in reality. And in reality, everything that we perceive in reality is perceived and transmitted and understood and processed by our unconscious, the unconscious that we share, that allows us to have this amazing conversation across the ocean. So uh, we can meet in reality, which means that our individual unconsciousness is our personal identity, and that's wonderful, and that's fantastic, and we should treasure that. But our collective unconscious is where we really do meet, and that is where intimacy is, that is where honesty is, that is where uh, true value, the true value of uh, this, this, this conversation that we're having uh, exists. So with that relatively not so short introduction, let me sort of continue because I wanted to place that in the context of this dream. So you are at a riverside out near where the river meets the sea. And if the unconscious is metaphorized, or if, the, if, if, if a body of water is a metaphor for the unconscious, then a river is a good metaphor for your individual unconscious, for your personal unconsciousness. The sea is a good metaphor, I would say, I would argue, for the unconscious that we all share our processing of reality, the fact that we dream, the fact that we need sleep, the fact that our livers do what they do and our hearts continue to pump and our body regulates itself. And, you know, when we walk, we all walk the same way and we all share the same spinal, because there's a type of spinal fluid and so on. So we have our individual consciousness and then we have the consciousness that we all share. We have our, each, in, each of us have our individual memories and we all have our capacity to remember, which is the, the unconscious that we all share. It's nothing mystical. It's just things that we all share, like arms, right? <laughs> this unconscious, this capacity. So when you are at a place where a river is meeting the sea, I would suggest that it may be fruitful to explore the degree to which you are trembling on the brink of this, right? UPB is fundamentally about our collective unconscious, uh, the, the UPB book in particular, I won't sort of get into many more details about that, other than to say that we are drawn to truth and we are drawn to morality because consistency is all around us. And it's not only needed for survival, but it's constantly reinforcing itself in our consciousness. And morality, fundamentally, as the UPB book proves, I think, is consistency, right? <laughs> it is consistency, and we are drawn to reality in the same way that we are drawn to recognize that gravity exists, because it is consistently repeated over and over again in our lives, and all we have to do is open our eyes and see it. So we're out here where the river meets the sea, where the individual consciousness begins to go into the collective unconsciousness. But see, the individual unconscious is always about history. The individual unconsciousness is always about history. It's about our personal memories. It's about our personal experiences. About It's the only thing that we can do is look into the past with our personal unconscious. With the collective unconscious, the collective unconscious is about the future. The collective unconsciousness is about the future. And to give you a brief example of that, if no one had told me that puberty was coming, I wouldn't sit there at the age of 10 or 11 and say, well, I guess I'm going to get smelly bits and, <laughs> and uh, hairy bits now. 
that would not be my next thought. What I would be thinking about was, well, I really enjoy riding my bike, which I've done before, so I'd like to go and ride my bike again, and I like this, and I like that. All about the past and me planning my future based on the past. But the collective unconsciousness produces, you know, through the pituitary gland of the hormones, produces puberty and produces, uh, you know, the, the testes uh, grow and you can produce sperm, you can produce new life, and then we get older and, and so on. And it runs the immune system and all that kind of stuff. But it has, uh, it's always thinking about the future because, of course, we survive in the future but we remember in the past. But we flourish as a species by looking to the future, We're sexual maturity, mating, having children, and so on. And all of that is about the future, right? You have the, the, the collective unconscious has to generate puberty in order to have the future of the spe- for the species to have a future. I know this is all very esoteric, but forgive me for, for <laughs> beating about the bush, so to speak. But the collective unconscious is always about the future, and that's why I say that our collective unconscious is about self-protection. Because when we only use our own personal experience, then all we can do is recreate the past. Because that's all we know. All the personal, it's just what we've accumulated in our own life. But when we use the collective unconscious, when we go even deeper into the realm that I think that you're getting towards, when we go even deeper, we end up in a situation where we can protect ourselves because the collective unconscious can almost immediately and instantaneously seize the information in the present and construct the future for us down to the last detail. Down to the last detail. That's why I say everybody knows everything and everybody is a philosopher. Everybody knows everything about everyone else in the first 10 seconds. That's the collective unconscious. Is it because they've met that person before and have seen that type of person before? No, not necessarily in any way, shape, or form. It's because we have this amazing ability to process information, this amazing ability to learn language. It wasn't like we sat there and figured it out. It's just an innate thing where you get 20 or 30 words a day. We have all of these incredible abilities about the future, but the future is part of our collective unconscious. That's how we read the future. It's the instincts to know what's going to happen in the future based on the information that we have. It's nothing psychic. It's just based on people's personalities, which we read through body language, through eye contact, and all of that almost immediately. And we can construct a very, very accurate picture of who someone is, how they're going to react under almost every single circumstance based on having met them for a few seconds. That's the collective. That's the kind of instincts that we need to really change the world, to really change the world. And we'll get to that in a second. Well, maybe more than a second at this rate, (laughs) but we'll do our best. So, you're at a place where the river meets the sea. Now, the movement of water in a dream is the question of the flow of information. So if you remember, I used to have these dreams, which after I figured them out, uh, I never had the begin of massive tidal waves crashing into people, and that was because I did not understand the sensitivity of what it is I was putting forward for other people, and I kept blundering into them in the way that I talked about in a recent podcast about uh, playing football with people who have very brittle bones and you know, crushing and smashing them and so on. I didn't understand that, so I kept making this mistake of you know crashing into people and then getting upset when they got mad or confused or baffled or whatever. So in that, que- in that case, the flow of information was going from my collective unconscious onto the shore of other people, right? So in these metaphors, right, I mean, the river is the personal unconscious, the shore is our conscious mind, and the sea is the collective unconscious. It's just the way 
the way that it works, right? I mean, it seems to me we're 80% water, <laughs> our blood flows and blah, blah, blah. It just seems to work. So in this case, right, and, and the reason that I'm going into all of this backstory is that there are two things that lead me to this conclusion. The first is that you're traveling with a group of monkeys, of course. And the second, of course, is that the monkeys have come from the sea. The monkeys have come from the sea, and they must have come from the sea because they're just floating, and they're floating upstream. As you say, the tide is coming in, which means that the flow of information that is starting to come to your mind, what you know of as your mind, your conscious mind, the flow of information is coming from the sea through the river and then into, into the city. And there's a, what's that? Monkey Man is a song by the Stones. So you might want to listen to it at some point. At one point he screams, I'm a monkey, right? I'm a monkey. He, he sort of, and, and this always struck me as a kind of power because, you know, I mean, there is something simian about this, this, uh, this, uh, this fellow, Mick, uh, Mick Jagger. But uh, obviously a very instinctual singer and a very instinctual entertainer. And, you know, the way he dances is kind of symbian too, and not, and not very well. He's from the Bono school of flailing. But, um, but you have a flow because normally, of course, the river flows out to the sea. And that is uh, when the flow of information is going from the personal unconscious to the collective unconscious. The real power in life, though, the real power in life comes when you accept all of the amazing strength and power of the collective unconscious, of the stuff that you have known all along and that you don't have any control of, but you listen to. And all fairy tales have these wise men in their, in their, in their, uh, in their mythologies, right? They have these wise men who appear and counsel the hero in times of needs. That all comes is an echo, I believe, of the collective unconscious and the wisdom that we all have, that, that is built within us, that is born within us. And uh, here, you, um, you are getting a, a, a sort of anti-instinctual, oh, I shouldn't say that's the wrong way of putting it, um, a surprising flow of water, right, going, going up from the sea uh, up the river. So this, I would say, collective unconscious, which is the monkeys, the more primitive self, the more primitive side, right? Which then goes up the um, the river uh, into uh, into the into the town, and you're not actively swimming; you're actually just floating with the tide, and that is a great metaphor for the movement and the strength of the movement that can occur when you are traveling with your unconscious, so to speak, when you are traveling with your bliss, with your personal happiness. I know this all sounds tai chi, feng shui, fruity beyond words, but, you know, just bear with me and put that aside for a second. I think I've earned some logical uh, credentials to the point where I can talk about this stuff without anyone, you know, throwing up a little in their mouth for a few minutes at least. But when you're moving with your unconscious, when you are trusting your instincts, you feel like you're floating. You feel like you are moving with the rapidity and strength, but without effort. It, it really is an amazing state. And I've been trying to, I mean, I've been on and off in this for some years, and uh, it is, of course, part of what guides me in making the decisions, the big decisions that I've made over the past couple of years around uh, getting married, defooing, um, <laughs> defooing again, defooing again, from mother to father to brother, and, uh, you know, taking jobs and then leaving my career, starting to, I've been trying not to will these things, right? It doesn't mean I don't have will in it. It just means that the will is to uncover the truth about what it is that I want to do. Because when my instincts and my emotional energies are with me, there's nothing that I can't do, except save the world directly, which can't be done. And if those things are not with me, there's nothing that I can do. I'm just stymied and paralyzed, right? So it's just, it's what Socrates used to call his daemon or his little sort of imp 
his conscience, right? Whatever it is you want to, what you want to call it. So they're black monkeys, and they're not dangerous, and you're part of their clan. And you see, the fact that they're plural, again, points to this collective unconscious. If you, if you were in the jungle and you found one monkey that wanted to talk to you and tell you, that would be your personal unconscious. This is a group of monkeys flowing in from the sea. This is a collective identity, a very primitive, and by primitive, I do not mean unsophisticated. There is nothing more sophisticated than the collective unconscious. It is a mad genius of rationality, if that makes any sense. So you're part of their clan. Absolutely, they're making little monkey noises. They're, they're quite calm. They're just floating along, but you're getting where you need to get to, right? Not actively swimming, as you say. They have little claws, and, and the nice thing about this, too, is that in the collective... Un- I mean, this is all... Uh, I, hate, I hate the fact that this is all so confusing, so I'm sorry, but um, I just don't know how to make it clear. That could be just a limitation on my part. Oh, give me the salt water, you river. But... Um, in the, coll- in the collective unconscious, there is boundaries, right? In collectivism, there are boundaries. And, and this, of course, I know, especially for those of us raised on the individual spiky cactus plant of, of objectivism, this all sounds too silly for words, but uh, I'm telling you, and, and I hope that you will believe me if I provide some evidence, in collectivism, in, if collectivism in the sense of our collective unconscious and our instincts about each other and about reality, there is boundaries in those things because boundaries are uh, a prevention in terms of problems in a relationship uh, any relationship prevention is a million times better than cure right as as our good friend nate is is figuring out at the moment right i mean maybe it doesn't feel that way right now but it is as we talked about on sunday boundaries are not something that you need to enforce right they shouldn't be ideally in your life right you shouldn't need to keep pushing back crazy people from your own personal space Right? You should just not have those crazy people in your life. Right? I don't, I don't exercise boundaries with people. I have no boundaries with Christina whatsoever. We, we merge. We, we chat about anything we, you know, because she's an elementally and wonderfully and beautifully sane and, uh, and, and positive and happy human being. So what do I need to protect myself from? <laughs> right? Right? So this is the self-protection of the young. The personal unconscious will say, I need to push back. I need to establish boundaries. I need to manage this person and so on. The collective unconscious says, fuck it. Life's too short. Get these people out of your life, and then you don't need to manage them. You don't need to have boundaries, right? So, But in this situation, you are in a clan, and you're all sort of flowing in the stream together in this kind of collectivism, but you have boundaries because you say, hey, you know, I don't want to get hurt, and this, this, I'm getting a little cut here, uh, or not even a little cut, you say, your little claws off a while. Well, you, you don't want to, and of course, later on, there's a cut. Right, that is huge and significant and deep and dangerous and terrifying. Right, so this is the difference. Right, the the, the dream is showing you the difference, and this dream is about um, self protection, I believe. So in this situation, you say, "Oh well, you know, we're all hanging out together. Everyone's pretty relaxed, and they're kind of cute, but I don't want them to scratch me. So I'm not going to let them hold on to me for too long. I'm not going to merge, right? Because you don't merge when you get the crazy people out of your life. I mean, these mon- monkeys aren't the crazy people, obviously, right?" So you gently remove their claws uh, when one of them accidentally claws you and so on. Again, you don't need to be violent. You don't need to, like, you goddamn monkey and, you know, hurl it from you and, and, and then start kicking and, you know, whatever, lose the flow of the, of the tide. You don't need to do any of that. And that's why I keep saying to people with the trolls on the board or whoever's coming along who's causing problems, don't fight, don't fight. You gently remove them. You say, as, as I sort of keep trying to model, and one day people will see it more clearly, Right. 
I just say, please don't post here anymore. And I, you know, if they do, I just ban their IP. I don't fight with them. I don't get mad at them. Right? And this is what the dream is saying. When you have uh, strong instincts, when you are working with your collective unconscious and you know your, your boundaries and your values, then you can just gently remove these, this, this, this um, scratch, right? This thing that has pierced your skin. And then um, you say, now it is not a group of monkeys that I am floating with. It is a group of people. The water is taking us along pretty around pretty bends in the river, and I'm commenting how amazing it is. We're traveling upstream. We're not even swimming. We're just being carried by the tide. And there's beauty in this, right? And there's some very nice stuff in here. And you come ashore by this new housing, right? Now, here we've got a very significant transition. You're down by the river. You float upstream, right? Not downstream, but upstream. And you're you know, with the monkeys, and it's beautiful, and you, you've got gentle boundaries, and you can maintain your integrity while still being part of a group, and it's all too wonderful for words, right? Now, for you, my dear friend, there is the problem of the conscious mind. And this is uh, post-rationalism, this is post-enlightenment, this is English upper schooling, if you don't mind me saying so, this is the class structure, and so on. But you then go ashore, and uh, what do you, you, don't, you don't say to the monkeys, do you want to come, right? Are you done with the monkeys, right? I mean, you, you, you um, I'm just sort of checking how you, we somehow come ashore, right? Now, see, the we somehow come ashore, which means that you're with a group, and then when you are um, now looking at the future, and you're looking at, uh, of course, you're looking at the prices, uh, of riverside houses, which is something that you have talked about, as you mentioned sort of later, something that you might be interested in, costs a lot of money. Now, here, what happens is you are now um, in your uh, conscious mind, and there's not really any connection between the stuff that was going on before and the stuff that is going on now, right? And I'll tell you what that means later, and you won't like me for it, but I could be wrong, of course. So you're talking with a former girlfriend of yours from way back and showing her the prices, Riverside House, and so on. So she says, this is a very nice house, and you say it's quite expensive. And she says, yes, maybe my husband can afford it. And you say, what does your husband do? And she says, oh, he's a banker. And uh, you think, ah, yes, corrupt bankers, thinking about how they inflate money. I guess you mean the... Um, the Fed, or I think it's the English equivalent, Bank of England, I don't know. Unlike her to have married a banker, and so on. And this is not an unimportant interaction. We could spend another hour on this, but I won't. I won't be that mean. But um, she says it's a nice house. You say it's quite expensive. So immediately, you've gone from enjoying the beauty around you to putting a price on the beauty in front of you. And that's a very, very different situation. Earlier on, you were saying that the uh, uh, residential waterside developments, which in the dream, when you're floating with the monkeys, uh, it's really nice, uh, it's beautiful, and you're enjoying it, and so on. And if you stay on the river with the monkeys, they'll float you right into a beautiful house. It certainly worked for me. Right? <laughs> and again, I'm not saying anything that... I, I now live, I never lived in a house, I now live in a beautiful uh, house uh, on a huge and beautiful property, and uh, I floated into that, 
right? And uh, I'm telling you that uh, it works, right? But you want to not uh, keep floating. You want to get out and, and so on, right? So now it's like, oh, it's quite expensive. Well, my, my husband can afford it. But so now there's corruption is introduced into the dream and a kind of competitiveness too, right? Because you're saying, well, it's quite expensive. And she says, yes, maybe my husband can afford it. Now, when an ex-girlfriend says, my husband is really rich, hmm, I don't think you have to be a monkey to feel some, <laughs> some of the ping that comes from that, right? So corruption comes into it, right? So you remember thinking, ah, yes, corrupt bankers, right? And here, you've lost your instincts. You've lost your instincts, and this, uh, you, are, you are without monkey. You're, you're, you're now without monkeys, right? Because in this situation, you had an ex-girlfriend that you had a disastrous relationship with, she didn't help you in the way that you needed to be helped in your 20s, which would have been great. And if she married a corrupt guy, what does this say about her? This is what I keep, and I'm nagging you, but this is why I keep pestering to people. What does it say about your, uh, this woman that you're talking to if she married a banker and bankers are corrupt, right? And the dream, and this is the thought that you have. But uh, you continue to uh, chat with her. Uh, at least that's just my understanding. You let me know. And then what happens is there is uh, this this development, and you are concerned about harm to children because there is a bunch of cranes or some stuff that reaches high above the development. Right. So we are really moving from a wonderful depth to a very shallow height, if that makes any sense. The depth part which is great, is the, you know, the deep sea wherein cometh the monkeys and the floating and urine and the stream and so on. And then you jump off and you're there and you're looking at, uh, on, on land, the things that, that you might want to plan for consciously in your conscious mind. But then what happens is you look at these superstructures, these cranes or these observational decks which are rising up above to look at, to look at, the development, this housing development, and so on. And I would say, and that's the reason why I say this, which I'll come back to later, and I appreciate your patience for this, I would say that what we have here is dissociated vanity. Dissociated vanity. And the vanity is introduced with the expense of the house. Oh, but my husband can afford it. Oh, but he's a banker and that's corrupt, right? So here we have status and we have corruption and money. And so I would say that there is um, uh, children could get hurt if they go up on this crane or fun ride or viewing platform. And my sense is that you are a wonderful guy, but you are not without vanity. And uh, so I w- to me, again, this is another kind of warming dream that says uh, vanity is something that we build. Uh, and I, of course, have struggled with it too. Right? But, uh, vanity is something that we build to make up for lovelessness, right, and particularly in our past, right? So we want to be admired, uh, and we'll take that. We want to be envied rather than loved, and I talk about this in The God of Atheists too, so I won't go into it too much here, but that, of course, is a danger to children, right? To children of the opposite of vanity. I mean, children are all collective unconscious, right? <laughs> the individuation needs to occur, right, but they are all collective unconscious. And... Here we have another opposite. So we're looking at the very highest of things, which is the cranes or the observation decks above the housing development. And then, 
we plummet down and you say here there is an underwater part of the development. Dun, 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 dun. Presumably it is in the river, but the river is now very deep like the sea. Very deep like the sea. He is telling us about some type of luxury underwater house which is located on the river floor. And this is also why I say that this is a dream also warning you about vanity. The river is now very deep like the sea and what that means is that the collective unconscious is now considered to be all that there is and that means that you're dealing with the past and you're dealing with reproducing the past rather than with learning about the future in the instantaneous way that the collective unconscious represented by the sea can allow you to achieve. And how do we know that the river, which now seems very deep like the sea, but of course it only seems deep because you've forgotten the sea at this part of the dream, how do we know that the river is not very deep? Well, because you go down to see a house. And why do you go down to see a house? And you, you put the word right here. So he is telling us about some type of luxury, luxury underwater house, which is located on the river floor. Well, why are you going down to the river floor? Luxury underwater house, right? And you take some special vehicle to get there, right? So this is appealing to your vanity to some degree. It's special, it's different, it's unusual, it's luxury, and so and you got to, again, I'm trying not to project, because this was partly my experience, having gone through something similar to what you're going through now, and knowing the dangers that lay on the other side, I'm not, I'm really trying to be clear about what, what was my experience and what is yours, but as I said earlier, we're one, so anyway, just kidding. So, there is a, a house down there with normal-looking door and windows, the lights are on in the house, and there is activity inside. At this point, it becomes clear to me that inside the house there are trapped children and there is an evil rich developer, the guy who built this thing, who strangely enough looks exactly like Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia, you say. Well, um, I did look at the video that you posted about this guy. He's the founder of Wikipedia. And uh, he, uh, I think you're right to be a little freaked out by that video, these close-up of his eyes and of his hands. It's kind of hagiographic, like it's kind of... Uh, Crazy, crazy. And to me, I got to tell you, I think that there's a huge degree of vanity in, uh, in this program, in this, in this thing. They're not changing the world. They're not changing the world. You know, he says, oh, we, we are changing the world. And um, gosh, even I don't make that claim. And I, <laughs> I think that I might have some good cause to in terms of uh, the longevity of this conversation, not the reach of it at the moment, but the fact that it's going to be around forever. But that's a huge amount of vanity to say that I've made a lot of money and I'm doing something now in terms of getting the same pig-ignorant information that passes for fundamental values to new people, right, to new kids in Africa or whatever, right? So now they're going to get the same statist, religious, cult-of-the-family claptrap and bullshit that humanity has always labored under. Is that really changing the world now that we can spoon the shit uh, in a more even way throughout the world? I don't think that that's cleaning up the world. I think that that's spreading it. Now, I'm not saying that the laptops are bad, right? But uh, they are not changing the world. What they are doing is they are providing an avenue by which other people can change the world, the philosophers, right? The, 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 uh, the people who are building the infrastructure, that's great. Like building the road doesn't save the heart patients. It just is a place where you can drive the ambulance. And 
Uh, it's a necessary but not sufficient, right? So they're not changing the world. They're not changing the world, and we know that because the world is not getting any saner uh, because Wikipedia uh, has, has come into existence. So I think there is a lot of vanity in that, and um, I think you can see that the, um, uh, the same developer who built these incredibly high cranes and viewing structures and so on ha- also has this, this quote, deep house in the, his collective unconscious wherein children are trapped and afraid. But that is the very story of vanity, right? If I'm right about vanity, that it is the desire to be envied because you were not loved as a child, in fact, you were terrified as a child, then it would make perfect sense that the same guy who builds these dizzying superstructures that are terrible for children, or dangerous for children, uh, also has a house at the very bottom of his own personal unconscious, right? Because it's the river. This is not a house at the bottom of the sea. That would be a very different kind of house. But in his house, in the house that he has in his own personal unconscious, there are children who are trapped, and you are frightened. And uh, how many warnings, right, as these dreams are always giving you, right? We never leave the sea, right? <laughs> I mean, the dreams are always about the sea because the dreams are part of the capacity to dream and the what happens is the collective unconscious function. Everybody does it. I mean, if you learn Mandarin, that's in your personal unconscious. I don't learn it, but everybody dreams, right? That's what I mean. But uh, you're getting more warnings here, right? You've got a shallow girlfriend, uh, ex-girlfriend who's around, who's uh, kind of competitive and is kind of one-upping you sexually. Uh, my husband is so rich. And you don't say, I think he's corrupt. You don't say it and you don't act on it. And that's what I'm always bugging people about. If you believe something or you have something in a relationship with someone, either say it or act on it, right? If you don't like someone, either tell them that you don't like them or stop seeing them, right? I mean, just, just be honest. That's, that's all, right? But you don't do that, right? And again, this is just a dream. I'm saying, well, I don't know what's going on in your personal life, but... But here, um, you have this, uh, which would be alarming, right? So if you say, oh, she married someone who's corrupt, so I should not spend any time with her because she's going to one-up me, she's going to level me, she's going to one-up me, she's going to be putting me down, whatever, right? Because she married a corrupt guy. That's all you need to know. And move on, right? And then you see that there's this very high superstructure, observation decks and cranes, which are dangerous for children. Dangerous for children, and uh, so somebody has created a fun ride, right? Sorry, I forgot to mention that. It's a fun ride that's dangerous to children. So when you're around people who are dangerous to children or who have created a ride that is enticing to and then dangerous to children, my suggestion would strongly be in the real world, don't go underwater with them. Because that's an expression of sadism. That is an expression of sadism, and I'm guessing, you can let me know, that your ex-girlfriend had some tendencies towards cruelty in the past, or dissociation. That was a kind of withdrawal in terms of cruelty, cruelty through withdrawal. So if somebody has created a carnival ride that's highly dangerous to children, I would not let them take me on an underwater ride because these people are dangerous, and they're dangerous because they're, they're vain, right? And it's your vanity, right, your desire to see the luxury house underwater that gets you into this, this mess, right? So then you go down underwater and you see these trapped children and evil rich developer guy and blah, 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 right? And you don't know how the children are doing there. You say how this hostage situation developed. But now that we know about it, we are involved somehow. Maybe we could potentially tell the police or maybe we have the key to get them out or something, you say. 
you have the potential to undo this evil Jimmy character and his scheme. And none of that happens, right? Of course, you are mostly an anarchist, if I understand this rightly, so going to the police might not be the most productive solution uh, in, in that kind of world. Uh, but none of that happens, right? And I don't know enough about your relationship with the therapist to know whether the Angela Lansbury character is your therapist. And, you know, the fact that she disappears is good. It means that there's something unconscious for her, but she's not complicit in anything that uh, negative. Now, this other guy, this other guy your age, standing there trying to work out how to solve this hostage situation, uh, I think that's some of the conversations that you've had with Greg, uh, which you've mentioned uh, on, the, on the Sunday show. Um, Tom talking to each other, um, you know, it's dangerous. This Jimmy developer guy is eventually a very bad dude. We have to get into the house, perhaps even try to negotiate with evil Jimmy and so on. And that may be some of the uh, negativity that you have both experienced towards, uh, towards certain situations, which, again, I don't know what these conversations are. That's a possibility, uh, but, of course, uh, you, can, you can mull that over. And then, of course, like most moral superheroes bent on rescuing children, you decide to have lunch. And, of course, <laughs> it's quite funny. It is quite funny, but what it means is that you're not there for the children. You're there for some other reason. Clearly, if your main goal or sole goal or only goal was to save the children, you'd have stormed the house, you'd have started to negotiate, but you decide to have lunch, right? And, and what that means, what that means, not that you're not, you don't, care, you don't care about the children or whatever, but it means that you are using moral goals to keep you in dangerous situations, you are using moral goals to keep you in dangerous situations. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, when I was uh, having these issues for a number of years with seeing my nieces, uh, I should see my nieces, I got to see my nieces, and so on. Well, I was using a moral goal, and it wasn't like I wanted to see my nieces because I was a bad guy, uh, to keep me in a dangerous and, and destructive situation, which was a relationship with my uh, with my brother, former to prior to that, uh, it's like a good son gives his mother money and, and meets with her for lunch and then takes her to Austrian dances and stuff. All the things that I did with my own mother. Right? I had these moral goals, and these moral goals kept me in the uh, risky or dangerous situation. It's, I see this stuff all the time, all the time on the board. I'm not saying particularly with you, but I do see this stuff all the time on the board where people. They want to stand up for goodness and stand up for virtue and tell somebody off and get it straight and corner them and show that they're wrong. And they have these moral goals to expose to. And it's like, no, 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 a thousand times no. That's not what you use morality for. You don't use morality as a showpiece. You don't use integrity as a showpiece. Again, I'm not talking about you in particular or, or anything specific, so I can't give you anything like that. But what's, what's happening is... You want to stay around this house because you care so much about the children, and then you have lunch. And what that means is that you are using the children as an excuse to stay around this house, right? Now, there have been more than enough signals that this is a dangerous situation, right? We've got uh, corrupt people in the form of your ex-girlfriend and her husband. We've got people who've created fun fairs for children that are dangerous, who've dragged you uh, underwater to, to, and have lied to you, right? And have said to you, oh, it's a beautiful house. You'd love to see this luxury house at the bottom of the river. And they've lied to you. 
it's a prisoner's house and then they kind of abandon you now anyone would run and grab the monkeys and keep going on to a better life but you uh, and this person if it's greg i don't know you have lunch right which means that you're trying to use morality to achieve good quote good things but it actually is just keeping you in bad situations right and you, this is enabling right well you know again, again this is an extreme example right it's like the well i I didn't want to leave my husband who was a drunk because he, he needed me and I wanted to do the right thing and until death do us part and only, you know, what God hath joined together. I would just make up these moral rules that are just excuses to stay in dangerous situations for obvious childhood uh, reasons. And then this uh, evil Jimmy your character comes along. And uh, you say here that you think that you're going to be protected, right? You say that you think you're going to be protected. Evil Jimmy now walks up to us looking really angry. I presume that he's going to have to be civilized because there is another person present and he would not want to reveal his evilness in public. But you see, this is fantasy, right? This is the fantasy of being around corrupt people and imagining that other corrupt people will save you or limit their behavior. It's never going to happen because corrupt people only only have corrupt people around them only have corrupt people around them. In my business career, I kept bouncing around from executive to executive, uh, CFO to board level, trying to find somebody who was less corrupt. But of course, and I kept thinking that the next person I would talk to, who himself talked up a good talk about how they were you know, all about doing business with integrity and with ethics and being upfront and we were going to change and blah, blah, blah. But of course, uh, what took me a little while to figure out was that when you have one corrupt person, everyone who's around them who's not just walking past them on the street, is also corrupt, right? So if you, you've been drawn into this underwater area where this guy has built this house where he's keeping these children, who is going to be around there except other people who can't see that he's corrupt, like you? Other people who can't see that he's corrupt, like you and these other people that you're with. They've all come down there for vanity, for blindness, for greed for whatever it's false protection right the personal unconscious is all about false protection the collective unconscious your true monkey man instincts will absolutely suss people out directly and give you real protection because you could be three miles up river with the monkeys uh you know in, in a free and happy wonderful life right but but you're here because you um you don't uh, you're not listening to your instincts in this in something and this is it's all just my theory right <laughs> this is whatever fits for you right and so very quickly evil jimmy uh, points out that uh, or very quickly puts a lie to the proposition that you have that he won't be uh, he'll be civilized you say because there is another person present and civilized of course is a very big thing in england for those who don't know British culture. Let's be civilized. And what that means is, let's pretend we don't hate each other, right? Let's let's bury it. Let's do it politically. Let's do it under the table. Let's let's you know, let's have our let's civilized is not the same as virtuous, right? It just means stiff upper lip, right? And then you say here, and obviously a terrifying ending to the dream. However, evil Jimmy takes out a knife, a switchblade, and now becomes very dangerously violent looking, right? Comes storming up to you, this guy who has uh, trapped children in his house, why the fuck aren't you running? Right, again, obviously, this is the dream is pointing out that the logical thing to do would be to run, to flee, 
to, to cry out, to scream out, right? But you're like, oh, don't worry. All the other people around here in this crazy undersea world where everybody knows the kids are being kidnapped and, and held hostage, all of these bad, evil, nasty, corrupt, violent, blind people will save me from this violent guy, right? Of course, that's not, right? That just tells you something about your environment. I don't know if this is your business environment or I don't know what, but, but you, you know, you know. So he becomes very dangerously violent looking. Do you run? No. He slices very carefully and sadistically down the length of each arm of the friend who I am with. Do you run? No. It is just enough to make a small incision so that it starts bleeding. Do you run? No. Then he comes over and does the same to me, slicing down each arm. You think at this point he has security with him like a crew of bouncer guys, but nobody is uh, nobody's holding you down, right? The dream is very, very clear. Nobody's holding you down. You're not tied down. You're not in an Iron Maiden. You're not in a coffin with concrete poured all over you. And the fact that he has, he's, I guess, holding your hand in one, holding your hand or arm in one of his hands while he's using the other one to cut down the length of your forearm i'm guessing the inside no that would make you bleed too much maybe the outside but he himself is not uh, actually holding you down and neither is security guards there's a vague threat and you're not too too clear about that you think he has security with him and you are submitting to this which means that everything led up to this we are provoked into becoming safe we are provoked into because we are driven away the collective unconscious is the end of the state but the collective unconscious is the end of religion and the end of the cult of the family and the true love that human beings can have for each other where we can meet in reality and in truth and in instincts and in virtue which ubb says i think and proves is a collective concept like rationality right? but you are staying for this and you are ignoring all the warning signs. I think we've had one of these before, a dream like this before. The torture is like a warning, and you're right with that. He wants us to comply with his will in some way, to tell him something or give him a key or give him the escape vehicle or something. Then he says to me, utterly determined with harsh staring eyes, words that I very clearly remember. Do you understand it now on a more emotional level? In the dream, I interpret this to mean, do you understand that this is not a game? You say, I'm going to kill you if you do not give me what I want. I am terrified being tortured, and I'm saying yes. I'm watching him slice down my arm. I can feel it. It does hurt, but it is not excruciatingly painful because this is like a warning slice. However, it is very scary because I know that he could potentially kill us. I'm totally terrified. Well, you're right. It is a warning, a dream, and it is attempting to wake you up to dangers that are around you to dangers that are around you. The vanity of having made some money is a very dangerous thing. The vanity of success is a very dangerous thing. And there is a lot about professional and financial vanity here, and the banker who can afford the nice development by the river, which is always most expensive, and so on. But where you are in your 
professional career and just to a smaller degree in your therapy, but particularly in your professional career, is a very risky thing. It is uh, financial success is a very false self thing, right? It's not bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with money. Having money is good. I'm happy that people donate money. Please donate money. <laughs> so I'm not saying that the money is bad. I mean, the money is good, but the fact, because I know the childhood that you came from, the money is going to be like a validation. The money is going to feel, the professional success is going to feel like a validation. And it's not. It's not. The only validation is virtue and love, not not money. And so... Yes, this guy is trying to warn you and he's saying, look at all these signs you missed. Look at all these signs you missed of the danger and corruption that lay ahead. And look at you lazing around having lunch saying, oh yeah, we should do something about these kids. Oh, more asparagus for me, please. <laughs> right? I'm mocking, right? But I think you understand what it is that I'm saying. So I think you need to look at, at your relationships. I get the feeling, and this is just my feeling, again, like all of this is just nonsense, right? But I get the feeling... Monsieur Le Tutel, that you box this conversation in. I think that you have this conversation like you have a secret and slutty bald mistress locked away podcasting <laughs> in an attic somewhere in Gay Perry. Uh, I think that you have this conversation somewhat shielded from your girlfriend or fiance. I'm not sure what she is. I think you have this conversation shielded from your professional life. I think that you are living a double life, uh, so to speak, and uh, I think that that's risky. I mean, I know that that's risky because, I mean, I just know. Uh, <laughs> I just know, so you should believe me. But uh, I think that you need to, um, uh, particularly in your... I mean, th this conversation is, is not mine and it's not yours, and it is a conversation wherein we are getting to the collective unconscious, and once we get to that, and once you get to that, then you will have the kind of instincts that may uproot a lot of things in your life that you feel are stable right now. It's not something I wish for or whatever, even can predict, but I think that you are um, uh, in danger, uh, and I use this in a non-dramatic sense. You're a smart fellow, you sort it all out, but um, I think that you are getting to some amazing places through therapy and through your professional success as well, which takes the edge off financially, and I, I certainly, once I had room to breathe and had a chance to take a little bit of time off, that's when I really began to uh, unravel my knots, so to speak, in, in a positive way. But I think that this dream is about getting you to a state of self-protection that might overturn a lot of things in your life. And that is through getting through, getting down to the root of these amazing instincts that we all have and these amazing abilities that we can't take credit for. I don't take credit for these podcasts. I don't take credit for figuring out this dream if I've done any anything useful that way. That's just I'm trying to speak the truth as it comes, right? So uh, I, I can't say that I'm a great guy for doing this and you can't say that you're a great guy for making money and, and so on, right? Because the only thing is virtue and, and the resulting love. That is the only juice that really, uh, that really gives us nutrition, that really gives us life, that really gives us joy. And because we had to learn to do, make do with so many substitutes with, with pomposity, I'm not saying about you, but with pomposity, with, with the bad kind of collectivism to other people's personal unconscious, which is the culty, religious-y, family, statey thing, but we had to make do with so many other substitutes, with status, with money, with looks, with clothing, with our musical tastes, with whatever. We had to make do with so many substitutes because we weren't left as children. It's very hard to let those things go and to return 
to the virtue and the love that really brings us true meaning and joy and beauty in our life. And if you live in opposition to that in various areas in your life, but pursue it here, um, it's going to leave a mark, right? I mean, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, and it's a challenge that's going to run you over if you don't uh, try and bring more of this conversation to other areas in your life uh, or find... Well, actually, really, that's the only... <laughs> Sorry, you're in now. Yeah, there's, there's nothing else you can do. At least that's been my experience. So I hope that this has been helpful. Uh, great dream, of course. Thank you so much for posting it. I look forward to y'all's donations and uh, feel free to uh, pick up. In fact, I strongly urge you to pick up uh, copies of my books at whatitstores.lulu.com forward slash free domain radio. Thank you so much for listening.